In the last session, we looked at the significance of the events which led up to Matthew chapter 13. Israel's Messiah and King presented himself to the nation and authenticated his claims in many ways. Even though Jesus offered the promised kingdom, there was intense opposition to him from the leaders of Israel, which culminated in their committing the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit. Their rejection of the king was final, and the kingdom could not and would not come until a future time when the nation meets the prerequisites for establishing that kingdom. One Bible commentator expressed it this way, This act of blasphemous unbelief on the part of the Jewish religious authorities was the turning point of Jesus' ministry. This was apparent in at least three important ways. First, from that time forward, he ceased to preach the message of the impending advent of the kingdom. The die was cast because the Messiah had been rejected by those who must necessarily accept him the messianic kingdom would be delayed. Second, he began a transition in which he concentrated on his disciples rather than on the nation, preparing them for the ministry they would have following his ascension. And third, he began to teach in parables, which was an act of divine judgment upon Israel for their failure to receive the kingdom message. This third change is apparent immediately in Matthew's account, where the Lord Jesus not only teaches by means of these important parables of the kingdom, but also, in response to a private question from his disciples, he explains the dual purpose for which he adopted this method of instruction. Now, as we mentioned in the last session, a parable does not display its meaning on the surface. Far from giving explanations, parables themselves need to be explained. So this is what the multitude would have been expecting as they waited on the beach, eagerly anticipating what Jesus would say as he sat in the boat to teach. One thing we should recognize as we begin is the importance of the sequence or order of the statements in Matthew chapter 13. First, we see the parable of the sower, which Jesus told to the multitude. Because of the way he shared this story, the disciples were then prompted to ask him why he was teaching the crowd that way. Jesus' answer to their question comes next, and it must come before his explanation of the parable, because his answer contained the key for understanding his interpretation of that parable. With this in mind, let's look at the parable of the sower, starting in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. 
He who has ears, let him hear. This simple story was so true to life that Jesus might have been describing the actions of a farmer in a nearby field which he could see from the boat where he was teaching. When a person wanted to plant a large field of grain, he would walk through the plowed area with a bag of seed and fling handfuls of the seed away from himself in a broadcast pattern. This was a somewhat imprecise but highly effective method for planting a large field by hand. Depending on the skill of the sower, the majority of the seed would land in the plowed soil where it was intended to fall. Of course, a little bit of the seed would also land on the walking path, or in the shallow soil at the fringe of the field, or even outside the field boundary where weeds and other natural plants were already growing. The sower only expected the seed that fell within the plowed field to grow normally, and even those plants would yield varying results. And that's basically what Jesus said to the crowds when he began teaching them from the boat. We can imagine the people on the beach looking at each other with puzzled expressions or maybe muttering to each other, Is that all? Why is he telling us this? We already know how it works when you plant grain in a field. Even Jesus' disciples were wondering what was happening. So in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? When the text says the disciples came, it uses the Greek word proserkamai, which means to draw near or come close. If they were with him in the boat, we can imagine them leaning close to him or even whispering their question to him. In this session, we're going to spend the bulk of our time studying Jesus' answer to this question. Matthew 13, verse 11 says, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. The initial response of Jesus to their question has a simple structure. To you it has been granted, but to them it has not been granted. The word granted is the Greek word didomi, which means to give or furnish something to someone, And both words are in the perfect tense, which indicates an action that occurred at some point in time in the past, but which has results that continue into the present. Both words are also in the passive voice, which means that the subjects are the recipients of the action. There are two things we should look at. First, who is doing the granting? This verse uses granted in the same way as another of Jesus' statements, which says, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. That's in John chapter 6, verse 65. In that case, it was God the Father who was performing the action of granting or giving. And it is the same case in Matthew 13, verse 11. It was a result of God's eternal counsels, decrees, and plans that certain people would be granted the privilege both of believing and of knowing the things of God. 
As a side note here, the topic of the eternal counsels and plans of God is an interesting and important theological study. Although it's not an easy subject, ultimately it deals with the issues of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But contemplating such deep truths is not for the faint of heart. As God told the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. Because of our finite human reasoning capabilities, we may never fully comprehend this subject, but we can observe what God has revealed to us in his word, and we can acknowledge it as true, even though we may understand only a small part of it. The key truth in Matthew chapter 13 verse 11 is that God grants some things only to those he has chosen, which means there are others who are excluded. Now, the second thing we should look at in Matthew 13:11 is what is being granted. This is clearly stated in the passage. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The phrase to know is the Greek word gnosko, which is a broad term for gaining knowledge. It can mean to learn, or to possess factual knowledge. So in this case, there are some important truths that the disciples of Jesus are going to learn through his teaching in these parables. And the contrast here is that the unbelieving people who rejected Jesus as their king will not be able to know these truths. The content of this new knowledge has to do with the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The word mystery is the Greek word mysterion, which is used in the New Testament to identify new revelation of knowledge that was hidden or unrevealed in the Old Testament. As it says in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. God kept some of his plans secret until the proper time for them to be revealed. So a mystery refers to the secret thoughts, plans, and counsels of God, which we cannot discover on our own, but which can only be known through divine revelation. Here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus is saying that in these parables, he is going to reveal some of the previously unrevealed parts of God's plan concerning the kingdom of heaven. In light of Israel's rejection of their king and the postponement of the kingdom, some previously unknown or unanticipated things are going to characterize the period of time between the Jews' rejection of Jesus and their acceptance of him in the future. There are specific people to whom God granted this new revelation, but there are others who are not given to understand. This raises the question of what characterizes these two groups of people. So, in the next verse, Jesus continues by providing more explanation for what he has just said. 
Matthew chapter 13 verse 12 says, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. In this verse, Jesus begins by addressing those from the last verse to whom it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. These are the ones identified here by the phrase, whoever has. The Greek word for has, echo, means to have and to hold or possess, to keep something which has value. We see in this verse that to whoever has, more will be given. And the word given is the same word that was translated granted in the previous verse. How much will they then have? The Greek word used here is parasuo, which means to overflow with excess, to be in affluence. We might assume that to whoever has, more will be given in proportion to what he already has. But that is not what we see here. God's giving is not proportional. It is lavished upon them well beyond what they deserve and to such an extent that they could never imagine such an abundance. In the next part of this verse, these favored people are contrasted with whoever does not have. And we might assume that Jesus would say, to whoever does not have, more will not be given. That would correspond to the logic in the previous verse, where it was said, granted versus not granted. So it would make sense that here it should say, given versus not given. But Jesus goes well beyond that when he says that not only will no more be given to those people, but even what they have will be taken away. Even what they hold on to as being valuable will be shown to be of no value at all. One Bible commentator described the situation of those to whom Jesus ministered when he said, All these men among whom the ministry of Jesus had been exercised had preliminary knowledge of the ways of God as a result of the Jewish religion in which they had been born and trained. In fulfillment of the messages of their own scriptures, he had come. Certain of them had received him. Others of them had rejected him. To those receiving him were given the mysteries of the kingdom. To those rejecting him, these messages could not be given, and they were in danger of losing the real value of all that they had gained through their early religious training. What was the essential difference between the disciples and the rulers and multitudes standing around? Did it not lie here that the disciples had received Jesus as king, and by reason of that action and their attitude towards him, had become able to receive the mysteries of his kingdom? The people had rejected him up to this time, and therefore he could not give to them, nor could they have received the mysteries of the kingdom. To the men who had crowned him, he belonged, and all the principles and privileges of the kingdom they were able to appreciate and possess. The others had so far refused their allegiance and were therefore unable to see or enter into the kingdom. 
I think that is an important comment, which points us back to the context for these parables of Jesus. The majority of the people who should have repented and accepted their king had rejected him instead. They did not have him in the sense of possessing something of value. Early in the teaching ministry of Jesus, he had said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5 verse 20. But how does a person obtain righteousness? It certainly does not come by obeying a strict set of external rules and regulations, which was what the scribes and Pharisees were doing and teaching. These people should have known from their scriptures that God's righteousness can only be obtained through faith. They considered themselves to be children of Abraham, the first Hebrew, and the father of their nation. He was the primary example of someone who was righteous before God. But Abraham did not obtain righteousness by following a strict set of rules and regulations. Genesis 15 verse 6 says that Abraham believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Throughout the Old Testament, we see others who followed the example of Abraham in obtaining righteousness only by believing God. Righteousness can only be obtained by having it reckoned or credited to your account by God. There is nothing that a sinful human being can do to earn it. It's granted only through trusting in God. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount and said, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There were many individuals who believed in him and accepted him as their Messiah. Because they desired to have, the Greek word echo, to hold on to Jesus as being of great value, believing him to be God's chosen Messiah, their faith was reckoned to them as righteousness. Because of their faith and trust in him, righteousness was credited to their account. One commentator expressed it this way, God requires kingdom righteousness of the subjects of his kingdom, but such righteousness can be experienced only in that person who permits the king to reign in his life. So their acceptance of God's chosen Messiah opened the way for them to participate in the coming kingdom of heaven, and it also granted them more knowledge of the mysteries, which consisted of new revelation of God's plan for the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus means when he says, Whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. This chart shows some of the differences between these two groups of people. On the left, we see whoever has, and I've labeled that the haves, and on the right, we see whoever does not have, and I've just called them the have-nots. So on the left, the haves recognized Jesus as God's chosen king. They repented when the kingdom was proclaimed, and they believed and trusted in Jesus as their Messiah. So God granted new revelation of his plan to them. On the right, 
The have-nots rejected Jesus as God's chosen king. There was no repentance when the kingdom was proclaimed. They did not believe in Jesus as their Messiah, and so God did not grant understanding of his plan to them. In Matthew 13, verse 13, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. This verse begins with the word therefore, which connects it to what has just been said. It is because the characteristics, particularly of the have-nots, that Jesus will use parables to teach them. The majority of the Jewish people to whom Jesus ministered exhibited the same traits as their forefathers to whom the Old Testament prophets ministered. For example, Jeremiah said to the Jews of his day, Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Jeremiah 5, verse 21. And God told Ezekiel, You live in the midst of the rebellious house, who have eyes to see but do not see, ears to hear but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel 12, verse 2. The Israelites were no different in Jesus' day than they had been in the days of the prophets. One commentator described their condition by saying, Christ declares, in effect, that these people did not see the things that his disciples saw. They saw without seeing, they heard without hearing. And why? They had shut their eyes, lest they should see and they had stopped their ears lest they should hear. They had rejected the king at the commencement of his ministry, and without the king they had no key to the mysteries of the kingdom. In a way, the fact that Jesus began teaching in parables came from his desire to show mercy to those who refused to see and hear. The biblical principle is that greater knowledge always results in greater accountability. As one commentator has said, Jesus presented God's message so the spiritually sensitive could understand, but the hardened would merely hear a story without heaping up additional condemnation for rejecting God's word. Now, at the end of this verse, Jesus says, nor do they understand. Understand is the Greek word suniemi which means to put together mentally or to comprehend. It involves assembling the facts into an organized whole, like collecting all the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and putting them together. In the New Testament, it's often found in the quotations of Old Testament texts, and that seems to be the sense in which it's intended here in Matthew 13. One lexicon has said about this word, On the one hand, to understand is a gift from God, but on the other hand, the inability to understand or the lack of insight is a result of one's own disobedience and unfaithfulness. So here in Matthew 13, the Israelites' lack of understanding is the result of their own hardness of heart and the rejection of their king. Jesus will now cite Old Testament support for this conclusion in the next two verses. 
Matthew chapter 13 verse 14 says, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. This verse introduces Jesus' quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This passage originally appeared in the context of God's calling of Isaiah to his ministry as a prophet. From the very beginning, Isaiah was told that he would preach to a nation whose people would not receive his message, but would instead reject it. Yet Isaiah dutifully proclaimed God's word, knowing in advance that the people would not listen. This is a striking parallel to the situation Jesus faced, as described in the Gospel of Matthew. The prophecy of Isaiah 6 was literally fulfilled by the people in Isaiah's day. But in Jesus' day, the Israelites exhibited exactly the same character. Like their forefathers, they closed their eyes to the truth and rejected God's message. As one commentator has said, The words of Isaiah were therefore as well fitted to express the character of the people in the time of Christ as in that of the prophet. In this sense, they were being fulfilled or filled up. That is, a case occurred that corresponded to their meaning. In other words, this prophecy provided the perfect biblical precedent for Jesus' response to people who exhibited these same characteristics. Jesus spoke in a way that the hardened multitudes could hear but not understand and see but not perceive. This passage could be translated literally as hearing you will hear and you will not understand, followed by seeing you will see and you will not perceive. Receiving important information through the five senses should trigger thought processes that result in personal understanding and insight, but in their case it did not. One commentator has said, A parable has the great virtue that it enables and compels a man to discover truth for himself. It does not do a man's thinking for him. It says, Here is a story. What is the truth in it? Think it out for yourself. The other side of that is that the parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by prejudice to see. It puts the responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. It reveals truth to him who desires truth. It conceals truth from him who does not wish to see the truth. So, in the case of the have-nots, whom Jesus was speaking about here, their receptivity ended when the story was finished. Now, in Matthew 13, verse 15, Jesus continues the quote, For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. In this verse, the quote from Isaiah goes on to describe the condition of the heart of this people, which has become dull. The Greek word translated dull is pakuno, 
which means to thicken or become calloused to the point of insensitivity. Next, we see that their ears scarcely hear, which uses the Greek word bareos, meaning heavily or with difficulty. And finally, we see the state of their eyes, which they have closed. Now, the Hebrew verb in the original passage can mean to smear over with wax so that the eyes cannot be opened. The first part of this verse accurately described the condition of the Israelites' ears and eyes. But the last part of the verse describes what might happen if this sad situation were not true. Working backward from seeing with their eyes to hearing with their ears and then understanding with their heart, if they were to truly understand, then they would return and God would heal them. The Greek word translated as return is epistrepho, which can mean to turn around, to turn back, to return, or even to be converted. To heal can mean either to heal physically or to restore spiritually from a state of sin. Unfortunately for the Israelites, the first part of this verse was true of them rather than the last part. One commentator has said, Their ignorance was willful ignorance. They did not understand because they would not understand. Theirs was a deliberate rejection of the truth. They did it themselves, deliberately, voluntarily, and knowingly. They knew what God's plan was for them, but they did not want it choosing rather their own folly and fleshly desires. Isaiah said the people would close their eyes lest they should see, and turn a deaf ear on the truth lest they should hear. And that is why Jesus said, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Any person who anesthetizes his heart, muffles his ears, and shuts his eyes to the word of God, God will punish by allowing him to have his way. Now, from these last three verses, we need to remember several concepts that will provide the key for interpreting the parable of the sower. First, seeing and hearing did not lead to understanding and perceiving. Second, the condition of their heart was insensitive. Third, the people were accountable for closing their eyes and ears. And fourth, they failed to turn to the Lord, whether for salvation or understanding. Jesus now moves on to discuss the condition of his faithful followers. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus said, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. The first word, but, gives us a contrast. Jesus is describing the status of his faithful followers. They are the haves who have put their trust in Jesus as Messiah. They are truly blessed because they can understand what he was teaching them. The Greek word for blessed is makarios, which is the same word recorded in the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same word with the same meaning as when Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. 
in contrast to those who had hardened their hearts, muffled their ears, and closed their eyes, everyone who eagerly opened their eyes to see and their ears to hear and their hearts to understand will receive immense blessings. In Matthew 13:17, he went on to say, For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In this verse, Jesus provides additional explanation for what he just said about the blessings given to his faithful followers. He clearly pictures the privileged status of his disciples compared to all of the righteous ones who had gone before them. The many prophets and righteous men who had been used by God to accomplish amazing things throughout the Old Testament would have given anything to be in the disciples' place, to actually be in the presence of their Messiah, the one whose coming had been predicted from Genesis 3 verse 15 up until the last verse of Malachi's prophecy. This verse says that they desired to see what Jesus' followers saw, and the Greek word translated desired is epithumeo. This is an intensified form of the word for passion. It's not a simple desire, but a passionate longing for something, which is sometimes translated to covet. As one commentator expressed it, Not only were the disciples blessed above the blinded just spoken of, but favored above the most honored and the best that ever lived under the old economy, who had but glimpses of these things, just sufficient to kindle in them desires not to be fulfilled to any in their day. So those righteous ones of past ages looked forward in hope to the time when the events would occur that Jesus' disciples were privileged to experience in person. What Jesus said here was later expressed by the writer of the book of Hebrews when he said, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, Hebrews 11, verse 13. The Apostle Peter also wrote about this when he said, The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. The prophets of the Old Testament were shown many important things. They had clues about the sufferings of the Messiah. And of course, they were given a wealth of information about the glorious kingdom that would be established by Messiah on earth, where he would sit on David's throne in Jerusalem to rule over the nations. But there were still some secrets of God's plan for the ages, which remained unrevealed to the Old Testament prophets. These are the mysteries which Jesus and the later writers of the New Testament would reveal. One commentator explained it this way. 
The prophets saw the coming golden age, but they did not see the time period between Christ's two appearings. They saw both his sufferings and the glory that would follow, but the time between those two events was the mystery about which they searched diligently. The kingdom of heaven was no secret to Israel. The mystery was the fact that there would be a long period of time including the church age, in which God would not deal with Israel as a nation, but would send the gospel into the rest of the world. God, in his compassion for the entire race of mankind, purposed from eternity to redeem people from every tribe and nation. This is the great mystery that God would set aside his chosen people Israel so that he might redeem sinners from among the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So, as we consider these two verses, where Jesus explained how blessed his followers were compared to the righteous ones of past ages, we should think about how much more blessed we are in our time because we have even more revelation than Jesus' disciples did at that time. When Jesus told his disciples, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear, Think about what Jesus would say to us, considering all of the benefits and privileges we have been given. And we need to remember that from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Let's close this session in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for opening up your word to us. I ask that you'd continue to lead us to see the important truths in this chapter. Please help us to be people who see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and understand with our hearts and turn toward you for everything in our lives. We pray that you would also help us to be faithful with the truth that you've given to us because we understand that to whom much has been given, much will be required. Thank you so much, in Jesus' name. Amen.